Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. In issues of racism, there are going to be some who will say, why don't you stick to preaching gospel? The social, political, and economic concerns have increasingly encroached upon the minds of those who should know better. The real transformative work in a nation is the transformative work of the gospel. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. All right, I want to start uh, this session by saying hi to Todd Friel. Me? He just texted me to say he's watching on the live stream, so I have to be good here. And he was very good. This is Wretched Radio. Phil Johnson speaking recently at a conference in Bakersfield, California, on a subject that has indeed dominated the evangelical conversation for the last several years. Social justice. Critical theory. What you are about to hear, in case you're totally burned out on that subject, and frankly, aren't we all, is a very pithy, punchy, and powerful present. Sorry, just got a little messy. A punchy, powerful, and pithy presentation from Phil Johnson delineating between social justice and biblical justice. This is super pithy. And by the way, If you would like to know who holds the record for the worst alliteration ever, I I have the crown at home. Sometimes I carry it with me, but I have it at home. I'm writing a book right now called How the World Works, and the chapter that would maybe cause you to raise an eyebrow, believe it or not, is on the subject of intimacy. Why did God create that? The world might say procreation, but evolution has no explanation for the procreative act because the basic principle of evolution is survival of the fittest. You make babies, you suddenly have competition for your dinner and for your goods and for your time and for your energy. From an evolutionary standpoint, Intimacy makes no sense because of the procreative act connected to it. So what is the biblical reason? What's the biblical exploration uh, explanation for the act of intimacy? That is when I created the worst alliteration. Here it, here it is. So here's here's what intimacy these these are the points of intimacy. Number 1, yes, procreation. But it's making image bearers. Therefore, we are not in competition. They are seen as a blessing. Two, there is indeed a pleasurable component to the act of intimacy. That is God's good gift to us. But it also is a pointer toward another picture, which is the non-sexual union that we will enjoy with our God in heaven. In other words, the act of intimacy is a foreshadowing, a foretaste of that relationship, non-sexual, that we will have in heaven. So it's procreation, it's pleasure, it's a picture, and then it's a, a pulling. That's right, a pulling. You see, I thought if I don't follow through with a fourth P and blow the alliteration, if a Southern Baptist reads the book, his head could explode. What is the pulling up? That is what intimacy does in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. That a man who is more capable 
of being, um, let's start out politely and talk about the male gender. Uh, We can be less uh, romantic. We can be less thoughtful. We can be a little bit more self-centered. And we can definitely be more boorish. On the other hand, you've got a woman who basically take all of those things and it's it's the opposite. And, and, and those attributes for a woman are good things. They're loving, they're kind, they're thoughtful, they're giving, they're sacrificial. We struggle in the male gender to grasp those good attributes. So what does intimacy do? It forces you to become that. It pulls you up because a a Christian man, sorry, doesn't get lucky. A Christian man acts in such a way that a woman will gladly give herself to him because of the way that he is acting. And that is why the fourth reason for intimacy is a pulling. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jimmy, is there any potential debate about who owns the alliteration, the bad alliteration crowd. It wasn't bad. Oh, come on. A polling? Nah, that wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible. A polling? That was a prolific list. (sighs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Phil Johnson, without using alliteration in a very pithy way, is going to, I think, magnify two big ideas, two big observations. Number one, we have advanced the conversation on social justice a long way. When this thing first hit a number of years ago, there was a lot of studying that was being done, a lot of talking that took place to try to articulate the problem with social justice ideologies. Phil Johnson, now what, three, four years into the conversation, just nailed it. Social justice this, biblical justice that, social justice this, biblical justice that. So maybe you're a wee bit weary of the social justice conversation. I'm telling you, this is going to help you articulate why we need to say no thanks and go away, social justice. You don't belong inside of the church. Social justice, for example, wants to see the redistribution of wealth, taking wages and resources from society's most productive people and giving them to the least productive. But biblical justice says if anyone will not work, neither should he eat. You never hear that in all the evangelical talk about justice because it's no longer part of the popular evangelical view of justice. Social justice says everyone should get an equal share of wealth and wages and privileges and resources. But biblical justice says everyone should get what he deserves. There's a little bit of a difference for you. Where do we come up with the idea that you should work hard and make what you're capable of making and being able to keep it? Without somebody taking it. Well, you can start with the Ten Commandments, thou shall not steal. It doesn't matter if it's a government arm that reaches into your wallet to take your stuff to give it to somebody else. That's still stealing. Taxes is a voluntary system. The idea of redistributing wealth, that's called stealing. Furthermore, don't we see the parable of the talents? Don't we see that the fellow who invested better gets more rewards? God, furthermore, does not have a problem with people acquiring and accumulating wealth. He has a problem if they have done it via ill-gotten gains. But God had 
Abraham, David, Solomon, all rich. They were just rich, period. And God never condemned them for that. How they use it is the issue, but how much they have in God's economy is not. And that is why it's okay for some people to have more than others. Social justice would call them privileges. God calls them blessings. Social justice lobbies for affirmative action and ethnic quotas. Biblical justice calls for absolute impartiality. We are like the statue outside of the Supreme Court. We have a blindfold over our eyes. We don't choose people for good or for ill based on skin color. But that is precisely what social justice focuses on. It's all about skin color. Social justice argues that reparations are due because of the sins of our ancestors. But biblical justice says the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. That would be your Ezekiel 18, Rexella. You are responsible for you. I am responsible for me. I am not responsible for what my grandparents did, nor what yours did. Is there any time when there should something should be made right via reparations? Well, I think restitution is a better word. If a father steals something from a man and then gives that item to his son and it turns out it's discovered pop stole it should the son give it back yes yes he should because it was a crime committed in his lifetime generationally that responsibility simply does not get passed down biblically social justice sees privilege as inherently unjust Biblical justice extols the blessings of divine grace and that is bestowed on sinners by definition when they don't believe it or when they don't deserve it. They deserve everything other than grace. So scripture extols privilege, the very thing that social justice condemns. Uh, but we should use the word like Phil did, blessings. Social justice has a twisted idea of compassion where, you know, borders should be open and courts should be lenient to criminals and serious crimes can be excused or tolerated among, especially among certain ethnic groups or disadvantaged segments of society, it diminish the punishments of their crimes on, on cultural grounds. But biblical justice argues for the punishment of evildoers across the board. And furthermore, when you read your hopefully not unhitched Old Testament, you see that it's God's idea to draw lines between nations. It's good for us so that we don't conspire together in a great big global cabal. Just letting that one lay right there. God wants justice. God wants the government to punish evildoers. Social justice says, nope, laws don't matter. In fact, let's not even have any laws about it. And let's erase God's borders and let's just open things up. Just one more difference between social and biblical justice. But alas, poor lad, there are more courtesy of Phil Johnson next on Wretched Radio. 
Hey, Tomorrow Club supporter, this message from Paul Marty, the director of the Tomorrow Clubs, is just for you. You know, it's been more than 25 years now since my wife Cindy first brought leaders and kids together for the very first Tomorrow Club. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been touched. We're grateful for all the ways you help kids in forsaken places learn to follow Jesus. Thank you for your support of the Tomorrow Clubs. $30 a month, Disciples 30 Kids in Eastern Europe and now in Africa, where Tomorrow Clubs anticipates they could be opening up 100 new clubs in a year. Would you please consider becoming a Tomorrow Club supporter? Kids clubs that meet in forsaken places, they get loved on, they hear the gospel, they memorize Bible verses, and they're getting saved. To support your own Tomorrow Club, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. What tends to come to mind when you think of heaven? Do you picture pillows of clouds, fat baby angels, the strumming of eternal harps? Don't feel bad if those are thoughts that you've had over the years, because honestly, the world and the media has portrayed heaven to be just that, cartoonish. But trust me, you're in for much more than that. God has etched eternity onto our hearts because as Christians, we long for heaven. It's our home. Earth is temporary. We know heaven will be our permanent home and our permanent location. And that's why our minds tend to wonder what it will be like. And Randy Alcorn, he's compiled 50 inspiring and thought-provoking devotions that will keep our minds focused on the things above. He covers common questions that many of us tend to have about eating, relationships, pets, working, among other possibilities of what heaven will be like. So do yourself a favor, avail yourself to Randy Alcorn's 50 Days of Heaven. It's available now in the Wretched Store at wretched.org. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Important dates in Christian history. 716 AD. Boniface, the apostle of Germany, sets out as a missionary to bring the gospel to pagan lands. As Islam decimated the church in North Africa and the Middle East, Christianity found shelter and thrived in Europe. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Earning the crown. This is Wretched Radio. I believe the battle alliteration crown belongs on my head. Jimmy says you haven't proven it yet. I'm about to, Jimmy. Okay. What you're about to hear from Phil Johnson from a conference on the subject of social justice in Bakersfield, California. His remarks are pithy, punchy, powerful, and pleasant. I was looking for a P word that described helpful 
And there it is, Jimmy. Pleasant. So I can rightly use pleasant for my alliteration, demonstrating I'm the worst alliterator of all time. I guess I should spend more time in Southern Baptist churches. Let's return to the remarks of Phil Johnson in his presentation on virtue signaling, which was a really interesting perspective. And you would leave it to Phil to be able to speak for about an hour on the subject of virtue signaling. Where in the world would you find a text or work through the Bible to find something that is so pervasive in our society? Well, Phil Johnson did. And that we, as Christians, have a tendency to follow the world, their interests and concerns, get involved for a short time, and then out we go. Because we're on to the next trend. But along the way, it allows us, I'm afraid to say, to put a badge on. See, I, I care about this 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 issue. I let me give you an example that Phil shared in Bakersfield. Do you remember Coney? Do you remember that, Jimmy? Do you remember that? Yeah, see, Mm-mm. you maybe weren't into evangelicalism enough. This was 20 years ago, give oh, or take. Yeah, no. There was a dude in Africa who was wicked, treating people horribly. And if I recall, he had a bit of a syncretistic glop put together for his religious worldview, Muslim and Christian. Sorry, the twain shall never meet unless, of course, they repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ. He was an odd mix of voodoo and his behavior, what he was doing. uh, You just don't even want to recall it. Do you remember how hot we got about that? And let the world know we got to fix this Coney problem. Well, Coney, 20 years later, or however many years it's been, I can't recall, is still on the loose. But we've moved on. Right now, have you noticed, and I'm not saying that this is a bad thing to be aware of and to speak about, but it is interesting that the evangelical church is talking so much about human trafficking coinciding in the wake of what is happening in the culture. It does seem like this is our kind of our latest thing. The good news is we've been on about abortion since Roe v. Wade. So we've stayed consistent with that concern. But there have been many concerns throughout the decades in evangelical Christianity that have been issues that we got excited about, concerned about. The culture changed. The subject grew cold. And we moved on to the next thing. And is it possible that we, like the world, can be guilty of virtue signaling? That we jump onto something not because we have a genuine, biblically informed reason for our concern, but because that's what everybody's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we have to be, we even have to be careful on this particular subject of social justice. It is, in my estimation, a very serious threat to every single local church, every single one. I think the only way a pastor can keep his church from dividing over this subject is if he closes the door on social justice, locks it, seals it, puts a chair underneath the handle, and then has some strong-arm men standing at the door to usher it out if it even tries to come in. Otherwise, this is hitting church after church after church after church. 
And we want to be careful that we're addressing it for the reasons that the Bible would indicate we should. We want to make sure that we're protecting theology. But if I'm engaging in a social justice conversation viscerally, as opposed to biblically, rationally, it could be because I'm just trying to jump on the latest trend, be a part of the latest conversation. That is a temptation that we should assiduously avoid. Phil Johnson, in a pithy, punchy, powerful, and pleasant way, presented all of the differences, just lickety-split, lightning speed, indicating we got this thing figured out. When this first started, I don't know if you remember, let me try, it's a very difficult word, and this concept is really complicated because it comes from legal theory, so this tends to be a philosopher's, and there would be like 20 minutes of excuses for not being able to share this in a pithy, punchy, powerful, and pleasant way. We're able to do that now. And Phil Johnson demonstrated that beautifully. Redistribution of wealth is social justice. Mm -mm. God doesn't see stealing as a good thing, no matter what the pretext. Affirmative action, that is a social justice idea. A biblical justice idea is, oh, no, 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 no. We, 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 we don't choose based on skin color. Reparations, a social justice issue. The Bible would say, no, you're responsible for your own stuff. And if there is a contemporary restitution that needs to be made, you should do that probably with repentance, but you are not liable for the behavior of your great-great-grandparents. Ezekiel 18, privilege is bad. In the social justice world, in the biblical justice world, God is just fine with privilege. He calls it blessings. Compassion? Well, does social justice have something to say about that? Social justice has a twisted idea of compassion where, you know, borders should be open and courts should be lenient. to. In other words, no laws. So the nice thing to do is to lift laws because we don't want somebody getting arrested. That's just not biblical justice at all. However, there are three more distinctions between social and biblical justice, courtesy of Phil Johnson. Social justice says we should believe all women, and it takes it tends to take accusations against authority figures at face value without any corroborating evidence. If you're a member of any privileged class and you are accused of any form of abuse, you will be deemed guilty unless you can prove your innocence, and maybe not even then. Biblical justice insists on due process. If you've ever wondered, where do we come up with all these concepts that runs our world in the West? It's the Bible. Due process. You're innocent until proven guilty. In other words, just because somebody makes an accusation, do we take it seriously? Absolutely. But justice, biblical justice, means before we just condemn somebody based on the testimony of one witness, no, we've come up with a court system for that form of justice. The standard and the ultimate goal of social justice is an absolute equality of outcome. Daryl talked about this last night. So that everyone gets the same test scores, everyone gets the same privileges, and so on. You know, the participation award. 
The standard and goal of biblical justice is true righteousness. And true righteousness is defined by the character and the commandments of God. Speaking of Daryl Harrison, I actually caught a little bit of Daryl who spoke right before Phil. You know Daryl. He does a podcast with Virgil Walker. He's actually at Grace to You now. And he has been an individual who has been very helpful in the conversation about social justice issues. I heard him preach. And I, I honestly, I, it, I wasn't in advance thinking like, I wonder if he'll be any good. But then when I started watching him, I'm like, hey, he's actually pretty good. <laughs> Equality of outcome. That's just not the way the Bible operates. Don't we have a parable of the talents that there can be different outcomes and those outcomes can even be rewarded. Social justice. Uh, 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 uh. Everybody wins, which honestly is bad economic math, because ultimately with social justice, everybody loses. One more thing. Under social justice, the government is sovereign. Under biblical justice, God is sovereign. That alone should put the kibosh on social justice. When you take a look at the amount of light that is shined into the government corridors from the social justice wing, it's very bright. Not so much a focus on God. Instead, it's a focus on government and what the government has to do to make things right which in my estimation is a thorough undermining of the potency of the gospel, which is the only solution for our ethnic, not racial, our ethnic issues. When we look to the government to solve problems and to change people's hearts, we're on a fool's errand. We are because only the Holy Spirit can do that. Not a government. And for those one, two, three, four... Eight reasons I would encourage you again. Please, dear pastor, guard your flock. The social justice movement would love to get a toehold because when they do, they kick the door down and the next thing you know, your church will be divided. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Unregistered house churches in communist China that have relied on online gatherings during COVID are having that taken away from them March 1st. Beginning on that date, all religious information on the Internet will be forbidden in China unless organizations receive permission from the communist government. And honestly, it's just another example and another way the Chinese government is attempting to rid the country of Christ. They'll definitely make it a little more difficult for some, but not impossible. Because no man's effort will ever overcome the work of God unless God himself allows it. Continue to pray for all of our brothers and sisters being persecuted in China and all over the world. SB 656, it's a bill that recently passed the Virginia State Senate and is heading to the House. The bill requires the State Department of Education to develop a policy for public schools that ensure parental notification on any instructional material containing sexually explicit content. That's a positive thing, a positive bill. I agree with it, but it shouldn't have to be in existence. I mean, having to pass a law to make sure that schools aren't showing children things that are sexually explicit? Have we not put people in jail for this kind of thing for years? And now we have to make a law to make sure someone with a label teacher isn't involved? 
Well, here's some comforting knowledge. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security released a summary of terrorism threat bulletin earlier this month. According to reports, the bulletin labels free speech as terrorism. The actual statement in the bulletin says, quote, The U.S. remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors, including an online environment filled with false and misleading narratives and conspiracy theories and other forms of mis-, dis-, and mal-information. This is step one in controlling the content people are allowed to consume. And it's exactly what communism looks like. And here's another story about more controlling of what people think. Last week, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill allowing the White House to sanction foreign individuals who oppose LGBT ideology. You know, we can't sanction foreign individuals who are rapists or child molesters, but we can sanction them only if they have biblical views on LGBT ideology. Only then can we silence them. What a disgusting propaganda machine that's in office in this country. Oh, and the world has released new research, and shockingly, it aligns with the Bible. In a new study at the University of Utah, it was found after researching over 50,000 women that the group with the absolute lowest rate of divorce are women who do not cohabitate before marriage. Who would have thunk it? Following God's design leads to a better marriage. Wow. An absolutely shocking revelation to the world, but not to believers. More Ratchet Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Esther is the story of a Jewish woman who becomes Queen of Persia. After a plot to destroy the Jews is uncovered, Esther risks her life to save her people. She appeals to the king who kills the conspirators and allows the Jews to defend themselves. When you face persecution, remember God is able to save his people through all kinds of circumstances. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Prepare to witness a metamorphosis. This is Wretched Radio, Road Trip to Truth, Season 2. It is out. It is airing on networks. It is being shared in youth groups and adult Sunday school, including senior Sunday school, who are a bit shocked at how the university students think these days. John Favara is the host of Road Trip to Truth. He hits the road. He interviews really smart people, and he interviews students on subjects that are of interest, most certainly to Christians, including the life issue. Scott Klusendorf, for my money, the most articulate defender of life, was in this particular episode to deal with objections. And you're going to hear one young man in particular that John Fabaro's met on the university campus that progressively was getting caught up in his own <laughs> arguments and ever so slowly experiencing a bit of a, an abortion metamorphosis. Do you think abortion would be acceptable if the pregnancy is threatening the life of the mother? Dang, you got me thinking so hard, I forgot to question it. So if there was an abortion <laughs> that had to take place for the life of the mother, would you support that or, or not support that? I would support it. That once again goes back to what the mother wants. If the mother values their child more than their own life, that would be acceptable. However, some people don't want to have their children, which I understand. A lot of people say that abortion is okay if the pregnancy threatens the life of the mother. Is that a justifiable reason for abortion? The first thing we need to do is carefully define 
define our terms. Do we mean a threat to the health of the mother or a threat to the life of the mother? And in law, those are completely different things. Health has been defined so broadly that now if a woman is depressed about being pregnant or it's going to hurt her socioeconomic status, that justifies a health threat leading to abortion. If we mean life of the mother, what we mean is a direct, unquestioned risk to her life, not her health. So we got to define our terms clearly. In the case where we're talking about the life of the mother, the physician needs to make a decision. He needs to decide, am I intentionally killing an innocent human being, or is it an issue where I foresee the death of an innocent human being, but I don't intend it? My intention is to save the mother, not intentionally kill an innocent human being. If our intention is to kill an innocent human being, we are in the wrong. Do you think there's any difference between a medical treatment for saving the life of a mother and then an abortion? Not really. I'm trying to... Okay, hold on. Let's take it. <laughs> this is where the developing human being implants on the inner wall of the fallopian tube rather than the uterine wall. In that case, as that embryo grows in that narrow tube, I think you can see the risk to the mother. She may end up hemorrhaging to death if that tube breaks. So how should we approach that situation that is a real threat to the mother's life? Not just her health her life. Well, what we need to do is, if possible, treat both as patients. But often we can't do that in ectopic pregnancy. We can only save the mother. So in that case, we should do the greatest moral good we can, which is to save the one life in front of us. True, we can foresee the death of the embryonic human being, but we don't intend it. And that's why surgery to save the mother's life in the case of ectopic pregnancy is not abortion. Abortion is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. In this case, we don't intend the death of the innocent human being. We foresee it, but our intention is to save the one life we can, the mother. The purpose of that surgery is not, we're gonna go in and kill this child. The purpose is, we need to save the life of this mother. So the intention is totally different. Because like, if you die before the baby is even born, then that's too, right. you know? So like, I guess taking the chance, that's acceptable for real. Seems like somebody's changing his mind. <laughs> this kid was such a hoot because he clearly hadn't given much thought to the life issue. So when John Fabara simply applied some very basic frameworks for understanding the issue, increasingly the young man found himself going, uh, um, yeah, merp. Knowing that an unborn person has a disability, does that give us the right to abort a baby? I say that every child's life is worth saving. However, um, some situations and I guess some like diseases may not have a cure. And so therefore, uh -huh. it might be the best decision. Does this give a mother a right to abort their child? No. It definitely deserves to live. Like, I think you see my facial expression. You know what I'm about to say. Like, they deserve to live. <laughs> that was after about eight minutes with John Fobaras. That is such a hoot to watch that young man change. But wait a second. Our metamorphosis is not complete because you're going to hear another woman who is pretty mainstream pro-abortion ideology. She starts to get a little bit wobbled, too. How would you respond to the objection that a mother shouldn't have to bring in a disabled child into the world? Well, a damaged human is not a non-human. Notice this objection assumes the unborn are not human. If I had a two-year-old in front of me 
who was a Down syndrome child? Would we slit his throat on the grounds that the parents shouldn't have to be involved in his life? No. So does that work with like young kids, two or three years old with Down syndrome? It might be better to kill them than to let them try to live? I don't have an example, but for something that's rare or there's no cure, then maybe then abortion. Why do people argue this way with abortion? Because once again, they assume the unborn are not human. They'd never kill a toddler that was disabled. They'll only kill a fetus. That's the core issue. What is the unborn? Not the disablement of the child. Have you ever heard of Planned Parenthood? Yes. Uh, no. No. It was started by a lady named Margaret Sanger. And what she said was she wanted to remove anyone with a disability from the gene pool. And that was the motivation for the abortion. So she said anyone classified as a moron, as a moron, mentally defective, mentally defective, or mentally defective, they were all to be wiped out of the gene pool. She justified this by saying uh, she was just trying to defend the unborn from their own disability. Do you agree or not agree with that? I do not agree with that. I feel like there's always going to be a defect somewhere, and so I just feel like that's not fair. Good that's, point. So, that's That's terrible. That's inhuman to me. I don't, I don't like that. The founder of Planned Parenthood, <laughs> Margaret Sanger, had a mantra. She was defending the unborn from their own disability. What do you think about that? I'm sorry, Margaret Sanger, but you don't get to decide which lives are worthy to be lived. You don't get to decide who will be defended against their own disability and who gets to live. That's not your choice to make. Gotta tell you, the young woman offered something helpful. I think there's always going to be some sort of defect with every child. Yeah, that, that's right. No, no kid comes out perfect. No kid comes out without something. It can be a birthmark. What if what if they come they they don't have their hair? That's that's a that's a defective way for a human head. Well, it just hasn't grown yet. And so of course we don't kill the children for that. But if you open up the door to identify certain defects that you believe, well, those are those those are a category where we have the right to take the life of a child. Guess what you've opened up the door to? Taking the life of the child if it has any sort of defect that the mother does not want. Do you think it's better that abortion remains legal so it's safer? Some people, if they really want an abortion, they're going to go after one anyway. And so therefore, I feel like they should just allow it to be legal and safe. Hmm. Hey. I'm at you with I don't know. Many say that if abortion were made illegal, that many women would die as a result. Is that true? Every woman that dies from an illegal abortion is a tragedy. We can admit that. However, notice this objection assumes the unborn are not human. Because otherwise, what you're arguing is, is that because some people die attempting to intentionally kill other innocent human beings, we ought to make it safe and legal for them to do the killing. So bank robbery, should that be safe and legal? No. But why should the law be faulted for making it more risky for someone to intentionally kill an innocent human being just so someone can do it safely? That's ridiculous. Like the way you're wearing it, the way you're comparing things, like you, you, you helping me find my answer because I already had it. It was no. And oh, by the way, statistically, <laughs> women did not die by the thousands every year from illegal abortion prior to Roe v. Wade. That is pure myth. What's wrong with saying that women will be forced to have an illegal abortion? Women aren't forced to have abortions. They choose 
to have abortions. By the way, it's terribly demeaning to women to say that they must be forced to do an activity, that they have no free will to make a choice about whether they will or will not do wrong here. That's crazy. And it treats women as if they're Pavlovian dogs that respond to the law with no ability to make a moral choice that's right. This is silly. Learning a lot from Scott Klusendorf, including the pronunciation of Pavlov's last name in that form. Pavlovian. I always thought it was Pavlovian. You say Pavlovian. I say that Scott Klusendorf is an articulate defender of the life issue dealing with abortion objections, not objections to abortion, but the objections that the abortionists use to take the life of a child. And when you tackle those Objections, thoughtfully, biblically, you will see a metamorphosis in the people that you're talking to. You will see them start to grapple with these issues and change their minds, which is a good thing because we're actually talking about human lives here. This is Wretched Radio. Thank you for joining us for Wretched Radio today. When is the last time you took a gander around the Wretched Store? If it's been a while, I'd like to urge you to do so today. The Wretched Store is home to tons of great resources, books, booklets, videos, MP3s, and curriculum. And I'll go out on the limb and say that everybody will be able to find something they'll love and learn from in the Wretched Store. So take some time and peruse all we have available. Wretched.org slash store. All of the resources that you'll find are only made possible by the support of our gospel partners. We can't produce the content that we're able to produce without that ongoing support. So while you're visiting the Wretched store at wretched.org, would you also consider taking a look at our donate page by clicking the give link at the top of the page? There you'll find all the information you will ever need regarding becoming a gospel partner. Wretched.org slash store, wretched.org slash donate. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. Permit me to introduce you to Brie and Salvation Domino's Preborn style. When one person gets saved, they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them. And then it's just this domino effect. Brie currently volunteers at a preborn life center. How did she get saved? From a friend whose mother got saved at, you guessed it, a preborn life center. Why? Because preborn, it is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. And look at the domino effect. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. I want to share with you voicemails we receive nearly daily here at Wretched. Wretched Radio has just really impacted my life. Just really brought me closer to God. Through your video, God saved me. Wouldn't know what to do if I didn't have NRB and Wretched TV. Just wanted to say that Wretched has changed my life. We are grateful to hear the testimonies of our listeners and our viewers. And we want you to also hear the lives that are being impacted by you. 
our gospel partners. These testimonies aren't about Todd. They're not about Wretched Radio or TV. We wouldn't be able to do the things that we do at Wretched without the support of our gospel partners. So would you prayerfully consider becoming a gospel partner today if you aren't already? Help us to reach the lost all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because ultimately the glory is all His. It's not Wretched's. It's not even yours. But it is your efforts that help make our efforts possible. And all of those efforts are to the praise and glory of God alone. Get complete details right now at wretched.org slash donate. Revelation. How can anyone know God unless he reveals himself? If God did not speak, religion would be nothing more than man's best guess. But God has revealed himself in creation, in the Bible, and in the person of Jesus Christ. We can know God, and we can be brought into right standing with him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Today's special word is indiscriminate. This is Wretched Radio. Very, very glad the abortion rate in the country of Texas. Yes, I said the country of Texas. I know that used to be kind of a joke because Texans sure do love their Texas. But hearing a lot of talk about people suggesting that would be a good country. Nevertheless, the country of Texas recently passing some good, helpful, life-saving, indiscriminate laws to protect human life. What makes the heartbeat law indiscriminate? Well, I would ask you the question, how is it that we know that a heartbeat must be present for a human to be a human? Most likely, you would argue, well, they they can't stay alive by themselves. Well, that's true for a lot of people with pacemakers, isn't it? But we don't kill them. Why? Because we recognize they are a whole, innocent human being. And so is the baby in the womb. And that is why I am grateful in Texas abortions are down 60 percent. I'm grateful for any legislation that moves the dial. But having said that, I want to make sure that I don't adopt the argument that was used to provide the case for pro-life legislation if it's not right. Where do we look to determine when does a life become a life? Well, how's about this? It's growing because dead things don't grow. Is a baby growing? And the answer is yes, from conception. It be just immediate. That can only happen when it is a life. Furthermore, we know that that fertilized egg is totipotent. It has everything inside of it that it will become. Everything. It simply hasn't matured yet. So what makes a human life a human life, regardless of shape, size, location, level of development, degree of dependency makes no difference. What makes a human a human is that they're a human. And when we try to argue, well, it uh, it's becomes a human when its heart starts beating or we start seeing brainwaves, we're in big trouble because there is no way to really defend that. And it still doesn't account for the babies that don't have a heartbeat or brainwaves. And yet they are still human beings. So congratulations, Texas. Genuinely thrilled. Abortions down 60%. Got to tell you, I, I think we should celebrate that sort of incremental legislative success. Because the babies who lived are very, very grateful. 
that we didn't say, yeah, that legislation isn't a complete desecrating of the institution of abortion. So let's not pass it. No, we, we, we pass what we can with a heart that is filled with a desire to put an end to abortion. A road trip to truth season two, Scott Klusendorf. We actually did two episodes with him. The first episode in road trip season two with Scott was laying down the sled size, level of development, environment, degree of dependence. Trot out the toddler. So helpful. If you've never, ever seen that or applied that, you'll just win every single argument. But the second episode is Scott Klusendorf dealing with the objections that the abortionists use to justify their position of taking the life of an innocent human being. Have you ever heard of Roe versus Wade, the court case? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, I have, but I kind of forgot. Okay. Um, not supposed to stop there. But you've got people who are promoting abortion and they're not even familiar with the legislation. Oh, wait, it wasn't legislation. It was a Supreme Court Act. Nevertheless, the ruling that said abortion is okay is Roe v. Wade. How how can this generation not know that, especially if they claim to be pro-choice? Have you ever heard of Roe versus Wade, the court case? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, I have, but I kind of forgot. So can you refresh me on that? Yeah, famous court case that went to the Supreme Court where essentially the court decided that abortion is a privacy issue. Do you believe that privacy for a woman in this regard is important? I do believe that it's very important. Would you agree that there are any reasonable legal limits to the to the right to privacy? The court case Roe versus Wade was about the privacy of the mother. Is this a justifiable reason for legalizing abortion? Well, again, notice we're assuming the unborn are not human. Can we kill or abuse our toddlers as long as we do it in the privacy of the bedroom closet? The answer is no. So if the unborn are human, notice we're right back to the one question yep. that trumps everything else here. If the unborn are human, killing them in the name of privacy is no justification whatsoever. Do you think um, the police should respect the privacy of a mom who is abusing her eight-year-old daughter? No. Why not? Because that daughter cannot defend herself. <laughs> Which I see the connection. People might say child abuse is fine because it's private. It's in the house, so it's not affecting anybody else other than what's going on in my family, right? Should there be limits on privacy in some regard? Um, I definitely agree. You cannot go home tonight in the privacy of your room and look at child pornography. You will be arrested for that. And it won't work to say, well, I was doing it in the privacy of my own home. You cannot beat a human being up in the privacy of a location that no one else sees. So these are not good reasons for saying we can intentionally harm an innocent human being. Honestly, privacy about the flimsiest argument imaginable, and yet it really was the most persuasive argument for the Supreme Court to vote on Roe v. Wade. And it's so easy to simply demolish when we just think through the question, what is it? Why can we do that to a baby in the privacy of our own womb, our own home, our own doctor's office when we can't treat other children that way? It's because they're failing to remember, oh, it's still a human being. 
I'm Christian. However, I don't want to put my religious views on other people. There it is. Some pro-choicers would say that you can't force your religious beliefs onto others. What do you say in response to that? I agree completely. We should not force our personal beliefs on anyone regarding abortion if, if what? If the unborn are not human. Does anybody claim that we're imposing our personal religious beliefs if we're talking about killing two-year-olds? Nope. No. They only talk that way about the unborn. So once again, there's an assumption here the unborn aren't human that hasn't been argued for. It's simply assumed. I feel like it's good to share it, but you shouldn't force it because force just makes people reject it. Do you think the police should be respectful and not enforce anything on a mother who's abusing her child? I feel like if it comes to someone's endangerment... Yeah, I think someone is in danger if their mother wants to abort them. Someone's life is in danger, right? Mm -hmm. Which I I saw the connection, which is why I started smiling. Every law in our books (laughs) imposes a moral position on somebody. In fact, if the law doesn't have a moral foundation, it's corrupt and evil because that means lawmakers are taking away our freedoms based on their own personal preferences, not objective truths. That's immoral. Permit me to demonstrate why the argument, while I personally am opposed to abortion, but I don't want to impose my views on other people, is a completely fallacious position. Let's do it the opposite way. You meet somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe in any form of deity. And they say, I think taxes should be super high. Can you imagine saying, well, don't impose your godless values on me. They go, what are you you talking about? Well, it's because you're an atheist and you can't do that because that's an atheist view. They would go, what are you talking about? And the same thing is true with the life issue. I would I would perhaps mention that to, I don't know, say the president of the United States who uses this argument. He's personally opposed to abortion, but he doesn't want to impose his values. And yet all day long, he signs either legislation, less of that, and more (laughs) mandates. But he imposes his values on people all the time. The question isn't, can we do that? But is the issue that we are addressing Correct. Can you support your argument? And when it comes to the life issue, there's just no support for abortion. Acorn and an oak tree. What's the difference? The acorn is just a piece of the big picture and the oak tree would be the big picture. The acorn kind of, you know, falls from the oak tree. It's its own individual thing. Is there any DNA that the oak tree has that the the acorn does not have? No, 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 not at all. A human fetus, it might not look like us, it might look different, it still has all the DNA and all the things that would lead to that human life, right? Mm -hmm. There's life, there's reproduction that's happening from the very first moment egg and sperm meet. Some people say we're justified in aborting fetuses because they're just potential human beings. What's wrong with that? The unborn are not potential humans. They are humans with great potential. Sex organs, even though they're not functioning that way in a small child, are still actual sex organs, even though they won't function that way till much later. Nobody says, oh, those are only potential reproductive organs. They call them actual ones. And that's correct. A potential X 
must be an actual why. So what is the unborn actually? How is it possible for two human parents to create offspring that isn't human, but later becomes so? They need... Yeah, kind of tough to make that case. And you will make the pro-life case efficiently and effectively with Road Trip to Truth Season 2 available at wretched.org youth and adult Sunday schools. And until tomorrow... Go serve your king.